a word of warning, and a word of wooing. That's how Dr. J. Vernon McGee describes the second psalm today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another exciting adventure in God's Word. And while you find your seat, Greg and I have got some great letters to share with you. We do, Steve, and we always thank God that the flinging of the seed continues to produce fruit. Yes. And the fruit is beautiful and sweet and tasty. And uh, I think we have just some great letters from our North American listeners. Uh, you want to read this first one? Yeah, this first one's from Susie. I always listen to the other letters you read and thought, who'd want to hear my little testimony? But today, God said, share it. I started listening to your program when my daughter was a baby back in 2006, and I had to arrive at my job early in the morning. At first, Dr. McGee's deep southern twang turned me off, but God opened my ears to hear his word, and soon I didn't even notice Dr. McGee's accent. The program has been such a blessing to me by teaching me in-depth lessons about God's word and hemming those words to my heart. Yes, I have fallen off the Bible bus in some months, but then I get back on at the next stop. And then Susie continues. Greg, why don't you read it? Yeah, yeah. This is I love the progression in her life. She says, I asked to be a member of the World Prayer Team, and I receive emails of where you are praying around the world. This is especially important to me as my husband is from northern Africa and has come to know our Lord and Savior. Well, praise the Lord for that. Yeah. She goes on, I am in prayer for this region especially. I realize that it is through God that his message will be received in every corner of the earth. Thank you for all you have done and this wonderful Bible bus. And Susie, thank you so much for sharing that testimony and your path, your progression with us from, you know, listening to Dr. McGee, maybe being a little turned off by his voice to not even noticing his voice, to loving the word of God, to loving this ministry and supporting us through joining the World Prayer Team. That is just such an encouragement. Yeah, yeah. And I love the uh, reality of, yeah, sometimes I, I don't listen every day. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this. This is this is a, a ministry of grace. It's, it's not a yeah. ministry of guilt and legalism. You know, get on the Bible bus. If you step off a few days, just get right back on. Yeah. Get on the World Prayer Team. Don't feel bad if you miss a day or two. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Steve, we've got another another really great uh, testimony. You want to read that one? Sure. It says, uh, this is from Matthew in Los Angeles. Dear Greg and Steve, and all those involved in carrying on the ministry of Dr. McGee and through the Bible, greetings in the name of the Lord. The World Prayer Team means so much to me. I've been a Christian for a long time now, and I know that one of my weakest points has been prayer. I didn't pray as much as I should have. The testimony of World Prayer Team members and the letters that Steve reads have helped me to improve my prayer life greatly. That is so encouraging. Encouraging. So thank you for this ministry. The glory and praises for the growth of this group belong to the most important person in the room, our Lord Jesus Christ. May God continue to use the World Prayer Team to unite believers all around the world in prayer for each other and for those who do not yet believe. And both of these testimonies, as we just underscored, you know, it's about grace. We shouldn't live in guilt. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And so this is just an opportunity to step into what God's doing through his word and through prayer. Yeah. And if you're not yet on the World Prayer Team, we'd invite you to do that today. Super easy. Go to ttb.org forward slash pray. You'll be glad you did. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin? Father, we rejoice in the power of your word and the way that you work in the lives of your children. Thank you for that. And thank you that we get to be a small part of that. We pray now, as we all study together, that your word would go deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's open God's Word together to Psalm 2 as we make our way through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, I consider it very much worthwhile to spend this time with these first two Psalms as they're more or less of an introduction. And as I have already indicated, there is a very close connection in these Psalms. They are not really totally unrelated, and they're arranged in a very definite order. And I think that's one of the more noticeable features about the book. There is this systematic arrangement, and they were not just put together in a haphazard way. And in the first psalm here, why, actually, what we have is the perfect man and the happy man. That's the last Adam, the Lord Jesus. I consider it a messianic psalm, though it's not quoted as such in the New Testament. But now when we come to Psalm 2, we do find a psalm that is truly the first messianic psalm, and it is so quoted in the New Testament. There are about seven definite quotations in the New Testament from this psalm here. You find it in Acts 4 and Acts 13, Hebrews 1, references to it in Revelation 2 and 12 and 19. About seven different, very definite references in the New Testament to this psalm, so we can call it truly a messianic psalm. And it's one of 16 psalms that are truly messianic. But as we've already indicated before, we believe actually that all the Psalms speak of him. This book of Psalms is truly a hymn book, and it's really all about him. And so in Psalm 1, the perfect man, the happy man, but in Psalm 2, we have the rebellious man. We see mankind in rebellion against God. What a picture this is of Genesis, and this is the Genesis section of the book of Psalms. Man created perfect. Adam number one in the Garden of Eden. And what happened? He became a rebellious man, ran away from God, no longer seeking God, but actually getting away from him and no capacity for him. We find that now in the children of Adam, mankind, if you please, in Psalm 2. Now, Psalm 2 has been called the drama of the ages. It has also been labeled not only that, but it contains a decisive declaration concerning the outcome of events and forces that are at work in the world today. You have this psalm divided, I think, here as you would divide not so much a drama or so much a play, but I look upon it rather as a television program. And what you have here is a camera on earth and a camera in heaven. And that's very dramatic, by the way, because we've in our day been treated to a camera on the moon. And we've been seeing pictures from the moon. That's quite exciting. And then we have been seeing pictures that were taken from Mars by a mechanical device that apparently is rotating around the planet Mars. And that, again, is quite exciting. But here you have a camera on Earth 
but you also have a camera in heaven. And it goes something like this. First of all, mankind comes on camera. And you have the camera on earth on. And we have little man playing his part. As Shakespeare expressed it, little man that struts and performs his little part on the stage of life and then passes off. Even individuals are not here very long. Three score and ten is pretty good length of time for any individual on this earth. And actually, mankind hasn't been on this earth too long. Mankind is a sort of a, shall we say, Johnny-come-lately, and man plays his little part. Then the camera on earth goes off, camera in heaven comes on, and God the Father has a word to say. And then the camera shifts to his right hand, and God the Son speaks his part. And then the camera in heaven goes off, the camera on earth comes on, and the final word is given by God the Holy Spirit on earth as he gives a word of warning and a word of wooing to mankind here upon this earth. Now, with that in mind, let's look at it as a television program. Camera on earth comes on, and mankind is on stage now, and it's time for him to play his part. Now, is he going to be a noble individual and a wonderful relationship with God. Well, let's look at him. Why do the nations rage, we're told, and the peoples imagine a vain thing? Now, here we see the coming together of the nations of the world and the peoples, the masses, and they're coming together and they imagine a vain thing. Actually, the word means empty, Whatever's brought them together in this great protest movement will never be fulfilled. It's an empty thing. It's all dream stuff. It can never come to pass. Well, let's see what it is. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Now, here is an unusual protest movement. It doesn't come from the hoi polloi out there or some minority group, but it comes from the establishment. That is, here are the kings, the political rulers, and then the rulers that are mentioned here, they are the religious rulers, and they come together. Here is politics and church and religion joining together. And what's brought them together in this tremendous rage and this empty thing Well, here's the alarming thing. They are coming together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying. Now, they're coming together against Jehovah and against his Messiah, for that is the word here. And that word Messiah brought into the New Testament in the Greek is Christos, and it comes to us in our language as Christ. Here is a great movement, a worldwide movement against God and against Christ. The question has always been, when did this movement begin? Well, it began 1900 years ago, we're told, over in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. We're told that at the first persecution of the church, the apostles, when they were let go, they came back to the church, and the church lifted up their voice and thanked God. And then they quoted this psalm. 
who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the nations rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Now, when did this begin? We are not left to our imagination here or our own devices. The Spirit of God gives us the interpretation, and here it is. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the nations and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Here you find the Gentiles with their leaders, and religion with its leaders, the political leaders and the religious leaders, coming together against God and against Christ. Now, this is something that seems unbelievable. And somebody says, well, it's hard for me to believe that today. I don't think the world is against Christ. Well, let's look at this a moment. This movement began way back when Herod and Pontius Pilate were made friends. And for the first time, the religious rulers and Pilate, they agreed, and Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. That began a movement that has begun to snowball, and it's come down through the centuries, and it will finally break like a mighty crescendo upon this earth, a great worldwide rebellion against God and against Christ. Now, many of us believe that will find its final fruition during the time of the Great Tribulation after the church is removed from the earth. But it's hard for people to believe that today. Now, I personally, and in the book that we have, What Is This World Coming To?, I go into a great deal of detail here. But let me just say this, that the world today is not opposed to the liberal Jesus. The Jesus of liberalism never lived. And I think I can prove that because there's no record of him. The Jesus of liberalism, he was not virgin born. He did not perform miracles. He did not die for the sins of the world. He did not rise bodily from the grave. Now, the only Jesus that ever lived is recorded in the Word of God. And he was virgin born. He performed miracles. He died for the sins of the world. And he rose again for our justification. Now, that's the only Jesus that we have any historical documents of. But the Jesus of liberalism, of course, is a figment of the imagination. He's the Jesus of superstar. And all of this type of thing appeals to the man of the world. But the Jesus of the Bible, they're not prepared to accept him yet. And we find today a great nation, and it is a great nation, Russia, built on the political philosophy of atheism. Not just neutral, but active atheism, opposition against God. And that's unusual. That's just happened in our day. That is the day of many of us. I can remember when Russia was considered a third-rate nation. And actually, we pulled them through World War One and World War Two, And now they probably are the best-prepared nation for war of any nation in the world today. And that's atheistic. The great nations of the past were never atheistic. They were polytheistic. 
That is, they worship many gods. Now, there's active opposition against God in this country and against Christ. You say, how do you know that? How can you demonstrate it? Certainly. Verse 3, let us break their bands asunder. God has put certain bands on mankind. Let me just mention one of them. Marriage is it. Men today are trying to get rid of marriage. God didn't give marriage just to Christians. He gave marriage for all of mankind, for the good of mankind. He didn't give marriage to hurt mankind. It's God who made the male and female and begat in them a love one for another. In fact, when God created woman, she was to be a helpmeet. That means the other half of man, to respond to him, to make him complete, you see. It's God that brought that wonderful love relationship into the world, you see. But they want to break that marriage vow today, that band, and get rid of it. And then cast away their cords from us. So today they want to get rid of the Ten Commandments. They want to get rid of God's laws that protects human life and protects property and considers certain things sacred and says certain things are right and other things are wrong. That's what they're rebelling against today. Now, what's God going to do about this? Well, the camera in earth goes off. It's a terrible thing taking place down here. And my friend, this is a wicked world you and I live in today. And what happens? Well, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Now, that's not the laughter of humor, though God does have a sense of humor. What you have here, it's the laughter of the utter preposterousness of it all. Imagine little man rebelling against God, coming out, shaking his fist in the face of heaven and saying to God, come on out and fight me. Well, God laughs. It's so utterly ridiculous, friends. Little mankind down here, I don't care who he is. He may talk big and he may do like, who was it that huffed and puffed and tried to blow the house down? Well, there are a lot of little men that are talking about their opposition against God and their opposing him. They won't be around long. I can remember when Mussolini did a lot of talking. I haven't heard from him recently. And Stalin did the same thing. And we've had a lot of politicians that made some great statements in the past. Don't hear from them anymore. May I say to you, little man's played his little part here on the stage of life. But it's ridiculous. It's preposterous for him to oppose God. God laughs. And what's he going to do with them? Well, he's going ahead with his program. And his program is to put his king on the holy hill of Zion. That's God's great purpose, and he's going to do that. And the Lord Jesus now speaks, and the camera turns on him. And verse 7, he says, I'll declare the decree. And those of you acquainted with theology know that the Lord Jesus executes all the decrees of God. And then we have, The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You want to hear that very carefully, because there are those that say that this means Jesus is a creature that he was just born like anybody else. But that's not what the Word of God says. Paul, in his great sermon in Antioch and Pisidia, and I think that's one of his greatest sermons, he made this statement. When he did, now you have the interpretation of the Holy Spirit of what is meant here by this statement. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, 
Now listen to this. This is an interpretation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Acts 13, 33. Listen to it. In that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Begotten him in birth at Bethlehem? No, not talking about that. And begotten him out of Joseph's tomb in resurrection. That's what he's talking about here. It has no reference at all to that. And he says here, Ask of me, and I'll give thee the nations for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And that's not a missionary text, by the way. It doesn't have any reference to the missionary program today because notice what it's really saying. How will he come in possession of the nations of the world? By the preaching of the gospel? No, not at all. Listen to him. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, this is the way that he's coming the second time to the earth to put down rebellion. Some people don't like it. But read the 19th chapter of Revelation. He's coming to make war. Somebody said, well, I thought he was the prince of peace. My friends, the way you make peace on this earth is to put down all rebellion And that's what he's going to do. And I think this is rather practical. This gets right down where the rubber meets the road. This is right down where you and I live today. It's right down at the nitty-gritty. The only way in the world you're going to put down rebellion in this world is for him to come and deal with it. And he'll break them. Oh, he says he'll do it. And he'd never ask me to apologize for him, so I won't. Now the Holy Spirit speaks in verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. He's always got a message through to the rulers of the world, beginning with Pharaoh in Egypt, when Joseph was his prime minister. Daniel was the prime minister of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, later on of Cyrus in Media Persia. God's been able to get a message through to these rulers, but he has a message for us today. Verse 12, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Dr. George Gill used to say to us in class, that's the Old Testament way of saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that's what the Spirit of God is saying to men today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember who really kissed him when he was here on earth? Judas. And you remember even at the last minute, our Lord said to him, wherefore, friend, art thou come? He could say to Judas, you may have fulfilled prophecy. Maybe you were predestined to betray me, but you're not predestined to be lost. I can still call you friend, and you can change that kiss from a hot kiss of betrayal into a kiss of acceptance. Kiss the son lest he be angry. He perish from the way. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You could put your trust in him. You will have to do with Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. Either come to him today and receive him as Savior, or someday you will be brought before his presence for judgment. He is either your Savior or your judge, and he can't be both. He'll just have to be one. Today you can have him as your Savior, and the Holy Spirit, even right now, is saying to you, kiss the Son. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and thou shalt be saved. And the word still goes out, blessed are all they who put their trust in him. This is a marvelous psalm. Looks forward to the second coming of Christ. Goes back and gathers up the first coming of Christ when God raised him from the dead. He's seated today at God's right hand. He's coming someday to establish his kingdom. This is a marvelous psalm, but we go on now with Psalm 3 next time. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. During our study, Dr. McGee mentioned his booklet, What Is This World Coming To? Well, you can download it yourself at ttb.org forward slash booklets, or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find it. And then join me this weekend for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon, Another Look at the Lord, and that's from Psalm 1. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you here next time as the Bible bus travels through Psalms 3 and 4, and we'll learn what the Hebrew word selah really means. It's a beautiful concept. Join us next time to find out. Until then, may God bless you as you walk with Him today. Jesus came home, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, And it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.